to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. We are, this morning we're going to continue our sermon series on Summer of Love. You know, we've been looking each week at various scripture passages. Most of them have really highlighted God's love for us. But this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a turn and look at what it is is God is calling us to when we love one another. I want to make sure and remind you that on Mondays at noon, we do a little conversation with the preacher. We debrief the sermon and any questions or if there's issues like dogging on peanut butter, we deal with that on Monday and uh, we do it at noon on Facebook Live and then we post it as a podcast so you can listen to it whenever you want. But if you have questions or things you want us to talk about, I would love for you to shoot us an email so we can talk about those things and I... I don't just have to be at the mercy of all of Jeff's questions. So whatever you have, I'd love for us to spend that time together. We're going to look at the Gospel of Matthew today in the fifth chapter. But before we uh, read the scripture, let's go to God in prayer. Let's pray. Holy God, we thank you for this day, for this time to be together. Lord, for your word. And so we pray now that the words that are read are your words. The words that are spoken are your words. The words that are heard are your words. And may this encounter with you be so powerful that we cannot walk away unchanged. In your holy name we pray, amen. So we'll look at the Gospel of Matthew, the fifth chapter. I'll start at verse 43 and then read, just read through the end of the chapter there. So I invite you to listen now for the word of the Lord. You have heard it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, says Jesus, I say to you, love your enemies Pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he makes his sun shine on the evil and on the good. He sends rain on the righteous and on the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me tell you a little bit about this passage that we just read here. This is part of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount is Jesus' first public sermon. It's the longest recorded sermon we have. It often is considered the most influential of Jesus' teachings here in the sermon. He's just begun his ministry, and he, according to Matthew, he goes up on the mountain, and these people gather, his followers gather, or perhaps just people who are curious to hear what it is that Jesus has to say. So they gather to listen. Now, I want to make sure you know about these people who have gathered to listen. They live in Palestine. Now, remember that this isn't a, like, independent, make-your-own-decisions-free nation kind of a situation. Palestine is a province of Rome. It means Rome gets to decide what's happening there. Rome is in leadership. It means that there's a a, a civil time of unrest for these people. 
They don't get to make their own decisions. They've lost their own autonomy. They've known war, destruction, and conflict for as long as their history can recall for them. They're political leaders that are in place. They're, they're pulling the government leadership, the church leadership, everyone to try and align them with the Roman agenda. My point is that the people who are listening to this sermon have been taken advantage of. They've been stripped of agency over their own lives. They've been pressed upon. They are exhausted. And they know the very real reality of having an enemy. And they want to know, what does Jesus have to say about this? So Jesus preaches then this very powerful sermon, and it's actually quite a subversive sermon. All through, Jesus subtly, but sometimes isn't so subtle, about calling the faithful people to live in direct opposition to what the political leaders are demanding. I want to make sure that that's really clear, because when we think about this topic of loving your enemy, I want to be really clear that there's nothing about this sermon that Jesus gives us that tells us to acquiesce to abuse. Matter of fact, this sermon is full of calls to oppose that which is oppressive in our world. So then what is the sermon about? What is Jesus doing then in this sermon? I think what Jesus is doing is not telling us how do we just deal with what's going on in the world right now. But I think what Jesus is doing is, is living out for us, laying out for us the world as it's supposed to be. Because what Jesus is talking about is the kingdom of God. I think what Jesus is telling us in this sermon is that the world you're living in right now, it's upside down. Things aren't working the way they're supposed to be. It's upside down. But with the kingdom of God, the intention is that the world will be right-sided up. That it, we will live the way we're supposed to live. That what God intends for us to live is this kingdom of God. But the fact of the matter is, as long as this world is upside down, there will be people that we will name as our enemy. So then Jesus is saying to us, actually, Jesus, all through the sermon, Jesus will say, you have heard it said, but I've come to say, and he, he said that in our passage this morning, because he's, what he's doing is saying, you've heard it said that this is just the way it is, that this is the world, we have to deal with it. But what I say to you, Jesus said, is that there is a kingdom of God that we are called to live into this, to live differently, and it looks different. That this world we're living in, it's not who, what we're intended to be. It's not who we're intended to be. That Jesus reminds us that those things are the, the harsh realities of the world, like enemies who oppress us. They are not intended to be realities at all. That we have a Savior who intends for us, not like something better, like just let's just improve it a little bit, but a whole new envisioned reality where Jesus assures us that this, the faithful God will give us, will right side up that world, that it will no longer be upside down, that, that that's what we're intended for, for the kingdom of God. That this time in this place where we're living, that this isn't the kingdom of God. And so the Sermon on the Mount lays all this out for us over and over again. It tells us things like the, heaven, the kingdom of heaven belongs to those who are being persecuted for righteousness' sake. He tells us things like it is the merciful who will receive mercy. And he tells us things like you gotta love your enemies. 
that is the world that we are being called into. In 2003, for four months, Lieutenant Colonel Deanna German was stationed as an Army Reserve nurse at a prison in Iraq. In her book, she writes a book called Reaching Past the Wire, and she writes about her experiences of being in that hospital. She says the hardest part of being in the hospital is that, that this room is divided by a curtain. On one side, the Iraqi detainee soldiers. On the other side, the American soldiers. All of this time that you're supposed to be healing, you know that the enemy, the one who has caused you this pain, is just on the other side of the curtain. She journals all about it, all through this book. And, and my favorite entry was one time when she was talking about a man in his 60s. He was a, a, a general in his 60s, and he came in with a, a back wound. He'd been shot in the back. She said he was very stoic, and he, maybe he didn't speak any English. She wasn't sure. He really didn't speak very much. He just laid on his side the whole time he was there. Until the last day when it was finally time for him to be sent back to the detainee tent. There were eight patients who were being discharged back to the detainee camp that day. Most of them were younger. And she realized that they didn't have any culturally appropriate clothes to send them back with, that they were going to have to wear the, the paper hospital shorts. She did find some cloth jackets somewhere in the hospital, but not enough. And as she passed him out, all of the younger guys took the coats and left this general without anything. He was going to have to go back to camp in paper shorts and a, pair, a bare chest. So she spoke to one of the younger guys and said, you really need to give your jacket to the other guy. And he did. And then she writes this. Just before the eight detainees were removed from the ward, the general looked at me and I went over to say goodbye in flawless Flawless English, he said. Thank you, madam, for your good care of me. I am grateful to you for that. In another time and another place, you and I could have been friends. I wish you safe travels back to your home. He touched my hand lightly and slowly walked away with the others. What the general and lieutenant colonel felt there was that tension that tension of being in this world where our enemy lines are defined for us. That feeling that in another time, in another place, it wouldn't have to be like that. But because we're here in this time, in this place, we are enemies and it has been defined for us. And that's what's so powerful about our scripture because Jesus tells us that that's not how we're intended to live. We're not intended to live in this place of defined enemies that we are intended to live in that other time and in that other place, intended to live into that kingdom of God. And that because we are faithful people who claim Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then we are called to demonstrate that, that we are called to demonstrate that living into the kingdom of God through our actions with others, including those who are defined as enemies. So I think in order for us to figure out what to do with this, right, how to live this out, we have to go all the way back to the beginning and ask ourselves the question, who then is our enemy? How do we decide who it is that's our enemy? 
And I think we get tripped up on that word, enemy. I, I think when we think about the word enemy, we think about a war-torn country or like lifelong nemeses like He-Man and Skeletor. And I grew up in this really uh, great Christian southern home, so I wasn't even allowed to use words like hate or enemy. I wasn't allowed to say I hated someone or that someone was an enemy. I was taught to smile and say, bless your heart. And so when I read this passage this morning, I can let myself off the hook because I technically I don't even have any enemies. I just have a list of people whose hearts I would like blessed. But I think if we're being really honest with ourselves, if I'm being honest with myself and, and we approach this conversation in a way that is authentic and vulnerable, we can't let ourselves off the hook that easily. It really isn't much of a stretch to see that we live in a time that politically there, we have civil unrest ourselves. There is a time, we, this time we have created irreconcilable enemy lines. Anytime there are conversations about the Supreme Court and Roe v. Wade, critical race theory, voting practices, the laws around gun access, we have these conversations and they immediately draw deep dividing lines and declarations that remind us that at another time, in another place, we could be friends. But now, we have no choice but to be enemies. And if we keep looking inside ourselves, if we keep being really honest with who we are, the fact of the matter is that there are people that we also know very personally, maybe even intimately, that have hurt us. People who have disregarded our feelings, people who have been careless with our friendships, people who we have broken relationship with. We might socially be conditioned not to call these people enemies, but the fact of the matter is that's how we categorize them in our minds. We can avoid the word enemy if we want, but the fact of the matter is that there are people we are mad at. There are people that we feel press down on us. There are people who threaten our own sense of self. People we're not interested in loving or caring for or quite frankly, even treating with dignity. And y'all, the scripture is clear this time and this place where we're forced to be enemies, where we degrade one another, where we're willing to destroy that which we deem as vulnerable, this can't be the world that we live in. This can't be who we are. Because scripture is clear, we're intended for something more. We're, we're called to something greater as a, a people of faith. We need these words of scripture calling us to go out and to do the hard work of loving the people we would rather not. Because that's who we've been called to be. And the good news about this is I don't know if you remember in the passage that as soon as Jesus says, love your enemies, the very next phrase that he gives us is pray for those who persecute you. He invites us to pray. He invites us to remember that relationship that we have with God. Because for, by praying for these people, we are acknowledging that we can't do this on our own. This hard work that we're supposed to do, we can't do it on our own. We need the grace, the guidance, the strength, the humility that God will give us to do this thing of loving our enemies. 
I want to tell you about this. I believe that she's a Lutheran pastor. Her name is Nadia Boltz Weber. She is the pastor of a church called House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado. She's a prolific author. I have several of her books, and she's a gifted, gifted preacher. And in her book, Accidental Saints, she shares about the Christmas of 2012. You might remember that year, 11 days before Christmas, Adam Lanza walked into Sandy Hook Elementary School and slaughtered innocent children. Nadia and her pastoral intern got together to talk about what are we going to do in worship? How are we going to address this tragedy that our country, that our people are dealing with? Nadia said, you know what? I have an idea. We will read the names of the 26 children and teachers in worship during our prayer time and we'll ring a bell after each name. She said the intern looked at her and said, do you mean 27? What? Adam Lanza, the shooter. He died too. Nadia says her immediate response was, nope. She said the intern then looked at her. And Nadia hung her head and walked to the back to get 27 candles. In the book, she then describes the Sunday morning as she's reading these names off, the experience that she was having, the intensity of the moment as she thought about each of those who had been murdered and how unfair and horrible this world is that something like that could happen. And she writes this in the book. I couldn't read the final name right away. It took me a minute to reach down deep enough into my theological convictions in order to find the mercy to do so. I had been so intensely focused on telling the truth about the kind of world God entered and how it was violent and faithless as our own that I had forgotten in my sermon to actually mention why God entered it. And if I couldn't also speak the truth that God came to save us, all of us, that God created us in God's image, and that lives we'd rather extinguish are still precious to the maker, then I really had no business being a preacher that day. So I dug deep to speak the truth of God, and I said, in obedience to your command to love the enemy and pray for those who persecute us, my voice cracked as if the courage were draining out of it. Adam Lanza, and I rang the final bell. Friends, this work of praying for our enemy, of clothing our enemy, of offering words of healing, of coming alongside of those that we would rather not come alongside of to love them, that is the hard work of living into the kingdom of God that we are called to do as people of faith. But there is good news in this passage. You'll remember that that very last verse that we get of the passage is when Jesus tells us to be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. That Greek word there is telos, which certainly can be translated as perfect, but probably more accurately is translated with the goal of reaching the desired outcome or becoming complete. It's a word of journeying. It's a a word of transformation, which means that the verse is probably more accurately translated something like, be the person and community God created you to be, 
just as God is the one God is supposed to be. What that means for us then when we talk about this hard work of living into the kingdom of God, what it means is that Jesus didn't end with an impossible commandment that we could never keep, but rather that Jesus is giving us this promise a reminder that this time and this place with the drawn enemy lines, this is not what we're intended for, but that God has a plan for us, a call for us to live into, a call to help bring about that different time and place, a call to live into the kingdom of God. And so friends, know this good news, that this time and this place with the drawn enemy lines, that is not what we're intended for. And so together, with a lot of prayer, we will work together and do the hard work of loving our enemy. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks. We give you thanks that you are such a big God, such a gracious, merciful, loving God, that you have called us into this new place, into this kingdom of God, Lord, teaching us what it looks like to love those that we'd rather not. So give us the strength and the humility to do those things. Help us to be faithful, Lord. And thank you for loving us. In your holy name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.